0: This is Republic of Inseat, the 20 years later O3D podcast edition. I am Milena Ivanova and will be your host in this limited series. So, here we are, 20 years later, hopefully all the wiser, naturally smarter and as charming as ever. There were 432 of us in the O3D vintage. And certainly, there are 432 unique and very interesting personal and professional stories to tell. While I cannot physically cover all, I have tried to make a selection of stories that will keep you interested and curious and will hopefully convince you to join us on campus for a reunion. Welcome to the Republic of Insead podcast edition and enjoy the show. Et voilà, our little lapin. One of the most helpful guys I have ever met. He was the only one to help me throw a beautiful iron bed out of my window. And his assistance setting up parties and dealing with burglars was invaluable. Only bunny that could tell the difference between crystal and Dom Perignon by smell. And who would believe a bunny like, like that likes fine arts? But there's another side to that little bunny. At the Rouge party, the sicko dyed his hair red and went insane dancing with drag queens and chugging champagne from the bottle. In another instance, our friend was on a dinghy with a Frenchman and a Brit off the coast of Corsica trying to raid other sailboats at 4 a.m. Of course, this was after drinking high-end Swiss pear liqueur. More like some bunny that rocks the party, if you ask me. End of quotations. This is my guest today, ladies and gentlemen. have no idea if you know who I'm talking about, but he was a teammate of mine in P3, I believe, so I know something about that bunny, but I didn't know about the Don Perignon and the crystal, so welcome to the Republic of Inciad podcast, first of all. Second, any reasonable explanations on the above, (laughs) like the throwing out an iron bed out the window. <laughs> who wrote your profile? Do you remember? Do you know who this is? Yeah, of course, is? of course. Who was it? Who is it?
1: Uh, it was certainly Vip. Oh. Vip, my good old uh, housemate at, uh, at uh, what was the name of that Bois Millet, right? That was oh, the name okay. of this kind of a house slash chateau that was uh, a good 30-minute drive from, uh, from inside, from Fontainebleau. A quite a dangerous drive, if, uh, if you ask me, uh, during some of the party nights. But, uh, but we had a blast there. And indeed, um, he inherited um, one of the, the smaller rooms, and we had to kind of refurbish it. And there was this legacy old iron, super heavy bed that we just couldn't move out of the door and the staircase. So there was only one way out. <laughs> it was through the window. <laughs> <I love laughs> no, a great, fun, and- great fun. Such a great lad.
0: Do you still drink Dom and Crystal?
1: No, 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 no. That was all no. part that was all part of the reputation uh, oh. I was trying to instill at INSEAN, but people oh. can just uh, see through it uh, right oh. now. No, no.
0: <laughs> all right. There you go. Well, welcome and uh, let's start. Tell us where you've been the last 20 years and what are you up to?
1: Wow, twenty years. Well, uh, I think uh, as as everybody mentioned on these podcasts, I mean, uh, twenty years it just flies. I mean, you know, we've been having the on and off conversations over these these twenty years, right, Milena? Because yep. we've been keeping in touch quite quite frequently. So this feels just like one one other of these these catch ups. And I've been following what you've been up to, <laughs> and all the adventures you've been going through. And I must say that what you're doing for inside for the community is really commendable. With the fund, with the endowment, with these podcasts, with uh, organizing uh, sessions, and and getting us connected and together, the WhatsApp group and whatnot, I think it's really brilliant. And and thank you so much for for doing mm. all that. Um, look over the past twenty years, what have been uh, what I have I been up to? Um, well, essentially, I've been trying, I guess, to do something that I could feel uh, was meaningful. So somehow getting some sense of purpose and and being present and active on 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 on, on a subject that could actually uh, make a difference and that's why surprisingly i i ended up working 16 years at philip morris the <laughs> cigarette maker which sounds a bit uh, counterproductive or intuitive and if you ask me uh, today it still feels so but uh i must say that it was quite um, spot on in terms of that that uh, that desire to, to work on something that could really make an impact. Because indeed, out of the one billion smokers out there, you know, if we can provide them uh, with a solution that helps them move out of inhaling smoke and therefore improving their life, lifestyle, daily life and overall longevity, that I found was a very interesting endeavor to, to pursue and I worked for them yeah all the way up to 2019 2020 so so no longer with them uh, anymore but it was it was quite a ride it brought me through five different locations nine or 10 different positions and uh, and all with this 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 desire this intent to actually revolutionize to some extent uh, a, a quite old and legacy industry and and move it into something um closer to the you know to the 21st century and actually transforming it or turning into i wouldn't go so far as to say a force for good because that would be a mm-hmm. bit of a stretch but let's say a, a, a contributor to overall public um health which sounds quite quite a, quite a dichotomy but but actually you know one billion smokers if you can improve their their expectancy and their longevity that that's higher than the combined impact of many vaccines and and other solutions that have been derived so it was a, it was a great ride a lot of fun it brought me through switzerland uh, france spain andorra bulgaria your home country
0: exactly i was where waiting
1: we, where we had a blast in in when was it 20 um, 12 13 14 and then finally to to israel where i came here where which is where i live now uh, to lead the, the Israeli market and, uh, and, and where we decided to stay and live. But we'll, we'll talk more about that uh, later. Mm. Then I had a stint at startups working for a company that was developing, uh, that is developing a novel um, alternative biodegradable and water-soluble uh, plastic. So to solve the problems of uh, marine and ocean uh, plastic pollution. So a very hot topic, very much in uh, in need, quite complex uh, to realize indeed. But a great experience and a lot of a uh, lot of learnings there. And uh, then I decided to combine this this experience from VC to that I got through the through the startup experience, but also through my work at Philip Morris when I was interacting with the with the startups themselves, the corporate aspect, and putting that all together to to join uh, the world of VC, which is what I'm doing now, and help corporates actually create and manage a portfolio of of startups or growth companies here in Israel to equip them with the technologies and innovations that they need for their strategic purposes, their growth, their operating uh, um, uh, hurdles or or the likes. So quite exciting and and indeed putting together a bit of all the experience I've accumulated over these, these 20 years.
0: And family-wise?
1: And family-wise, I've been quite active too. Well, actually, my wife has been uh, more so with her four kids, uh, born a bit uh, in, in all of the different locations where we've been living, so in Switzerland, in, in Spain, in Bulgaria. And, uh, yeah, the youngest is 10, the oldest is 18, started the army here in Israel. Uh, she signed up for uh, two years and eight months, so quite a quite a new adventure for, for the whole family too, but very proud of all of them and um, and doing great here
0: all right so mm-hmm. how so you said you moved to israel 2018
1: or 2014
0: 14 Mid, okay. okay so yeah. it's yeah. almost 10 years now yeah it's like a so, good uh, nine years yeah so let's let's talk a little bit israel because you have now you've gotten involved with the startup scene and you came as an expert but now you're a local you've taken the citizenship so a bit of an outsider becoming an insider mm-hmm. so how do you see how how why did you decide to actually stay there yeah
1: that's that, that's a good question that's that's the question well i guess before that i could say that we've always uh, when i say we is, is with my wife and a bit with the kids to some extent but we've always wanted to to be kept on our feet to put ourselves in challenging situations uh, facing new unknowns uh, over time um, probably uh, in order to avoid complacency and and comfort um, of just having a very well organized uh, life and there's nothing wrong about that it's just you know maybe that was not for us at that stage in time maybe it will become in the future but for the time not and, and and the more we did that, moving from country to country and experiencing new cultures and having to set everything up from scratch again, from the admin side to uh, social um, uh, networks, has always kept us, as I said, on our feet and and kept us. I don't know, young to some extent, and uh, and quite tight as a family also because when you're moving as as a family, the only common denominator you have is is the family, so you stick together and and you make sure that everybody goes through the experience in the the smoothest ways possible. So, so so it's been very very good as a solution for our, I would say, for our family development and from a professional uh, learning and and personal uh, growth uh, too. So, so Israel has had always been a bit of a yeah something about I don't know if you could call it a dream or inspiration but something that I was we were very keen in, in experiencing but not as a as tourists which is something we have been doing quite quite often but really living there and and I had put my my hand up let's say at Philip Morrison you know when there's an op- a good opening there I'd, I'd like to be considered for the position and that indeed happened so. Super happy to arrive in 2014, but it's true we arrived with this mindset of expat. Okay, look, we're coming. It's for work. We'll settle. We'll see how it goes, and you know, keep a, we will keep our options uh, open, uh, and and we'll figure it out. And it's true that over time, you know, in a couple of years we we integrated here. It's not an easy environment to to integrate. It's quite a, a tough uh, a culture mindset, but very lovable. And uh, we really found uh, this place to be our, our, our new home. So when it was yet time for us, well, for me to move out as an expat, because, you know, these large corporates, they don't leave expats in, in places for many years. So after after three years, we started to have a conversation, which, which led into the fourth year of finalizing it. And the more the company was offering uh, new locations, the more we, we felt it was just not the right thing to do. And the right thing to do was to stay here, to 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 live in Israel, to become Israelis, to to develop our kids here in this country, and that led actually to a natural, uh, very smooth and um, and and uh, and in good uh, good terms separations from from Philip Morris, and that's how we decided finally in nineteen nineteen twenty yeah to um, to to fully immigrate into Israel, get the get our passports and become Israeli citizens.
0: All right, and now your daughter, as you said, is in the army,
1: so that's right. that's it. <laughs> so now, so yeah, I mean, now the objective is to get the, you know, the kids uh, fully localized, I would say, uh, because this is, you know, their their home country now. We, you know, we're keeping ties to Switzerland. We have our our, our, our mothers there, my wife's mother, my mother-in-law and mine, and we go quite often, of course, with friends and, and and more distant family, uh, because we are. You know, maybe from a nature perspective, a bit more Swiss than Israelis, but I think it's a it's a nice mix because the two mindsets are quite uh, diametrically opposed, and <laughs> seeing one from the other's angle is 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 quite fun and quite um, enlightening at times. And I think uh, you know you can jump from one style to the other in, in a manner that uh, brings us uh, the most out of it. One of the things that have really Contributed to to making us love Israel and wanting to be here is the I must say is this uh, this energy this constant desire of people to move forward to do things to fix problems to find solutions to 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 carve out opportunities out of hardship and uh, and and that spirit that that combative spirit that pioneer spirit I think is still very very present and uh, and is felt on a, on a daily basis. And, and and we find it extremely um enticing. Yeah. It's something that stimulates us. It's something that makes you want to get up in the morning and, 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 and do things and circumvent obstacles and just figure out how to do things you don't know how to do. So so you know, a lot of learning, a lot of putting yourself back into into questioning, into perspective and uh, and yeah, feeling quite alive, <laughs> which is which is a great feeling to have I must say.
0: And what would you say have been the big and ch- biggest challenges in the last 20 years, personal or professional?
1: Uh, okay, so professionally, well, yeah, professionally, I mean, the biggest challenge has been to advocate for uh, this smoke-free world as part of Philip Morris. I mean, to, to come in as a representative of the largest, you could say, death enabler from some perspective of, of, of avoidable uh, death by selling cigarettes, and being listened to and considered by anti-tobacco activists, by political stakeholders, by community leaders, has been very challenging and quite painful and quite tough at times. Yet, nonetheless, in many cases, I have been very positively, let's say, surprised to see that after a not so long conversation and discussion, you know, 5, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, of debating the, the merits of um, of the approach the, the, the company um, has about solving the problem of, of smoke by providing smokers an alternative rather than just telling them you can't, you shouldn't, you mustn't, um, and, and deriving a good business and profitability out of it. So, so to make something that is uh, uh, compelling for, for, for the company overall. Yeah, you, you, you see that people actually start listening and start thinking and start, uh, you know gradually being more or less in agreement with the logic they might still not like you or despise the company but but the logic is quite sound and uh and you do see people being swayed uh, into a more ne- neutral ground from from negative to neutral and some to positive and this is how the public debate has started and has been fueled and i must say that it was a great challenge but it came with a with a lot of uh, of, uh, of satisfaction, I've been giving a lot of uh, keynote speeches at universities, at tech conferences, at what not, to, to to share this idea, this this philosophy, and this logic. And the overall response, I must say, has been quite positive, and that has been very very motivating. As well as when there were personal situations of uh, you know people who. Who, who come to you and, and tell you, "Wow, this product! Uh, I mean, since uh, I'm using it, uh, my life has changed. You know, my, my wife doesn't uh, ostracize me and kicks me out uh, to go smoking on the balcony." And so, so you have a lot of positive feedback, and again, this famous sense of purpose or, or usefulness is something that that you, that you feel on a on, on a regular basis, and I must say that is a very very motivating and very. Very useful. So that was a big challenge, but a challenge that uh, that, that I learned to, to deal with. that's on the professional side. On the personal side, mm, mm, mm. well integrating in Israel was not easy because again, it's, a, it's quite a tough country and you need to, to, to fight your way through things and not take no for granted and just you know show resilience and perseverance to, to get things done. But I would say that one of the the biggest uh, personal changes was also to to manage you know our parents uh, in a, from a remote perspective, parents who who are getting older and don't have their grandkids around with them uh, that is that's a bit difficult and a bit painful, mm. but we we're managing uh, as, as 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 well as we can.
0: <laughs> yeah so let's talk the your transitioning from corporate to venture. And maybe you can explain a bit more about what you're actually trying to do now to build, and then we go into a bit more detail.
1: Okay. So I mean, I think this all started uh, when I was working, when I was heading Philip Morris here in Israel, and it was really arriving at the time where these new products, these smokeless uh, tobacco products were uh, being uh, uh, made available so out of R&D and lab into into marketing uh, conditions or marketability conditions, and um, yeah, I was uh, you know uh, it was clear for me that Israel was a great place for the group to to to, to launch to do a proxy out of because of the different characteristics of the country. We have different types of populations, you know, from ultra orthodox Jews to Arab Israelis to the general population uh, to ex-Soviet uh, bloc immigrants uh, in a small and controlled environment so you know i advocated for the country to be one of the first uh, launch markets and that uh, turned out to be the case and then the second thing uh, was that uh, while managing manufacturing marketing cigarettes was something that the group was extremely good at having done that for decades and decades in an extremely efficient uh, and effective manner suddenly facing new products that needed Complete new set of support, explanation, handholding of consumers, new retail uh, channels, new routes to market, and new strategies, new uh, marketing and communication, the use of new digital channels and tools. All of that was fairly new, and and therefore I was surprised to see to what extent the, the group of Rolf Moes was not leveraging um, the innovation that was available around us. You know this whole tech ecosystem. And and so that's the second thing I, I advocated for, uh, you know, creating a, a blueprint to actually tap into this ecosystem in a in a more organized way, and that led actually to the opening of an innovation outpost here in Tel Aviv, which I opened and inaugurated in two thousand and seventeen to actually create uh, a bridge between the Philip Morris corporate world and and the startup. Uh, so that was just the beginning of of, of of the interaction with uh, with these type of companies, but when we really started to work with them, that's when I saw all the complexity and the issues that large corporates such as Philip Morris have when they have to deal with with startups in terms of, of course, mindset, in terms of speed, in terms of compliance, in terms of requirements, in terms of decision making, in terms of in terms of, of of putting together the people to work on on a POC or or R&D people together with the with the tech guys and the CTOs of, of the startups. And, and it became quite painful to some extent to see how complex all of this had become. And, and that promoted the need to actually revisit the internal processes to make all of this thing lighter and more agile and leaner. And that uh, that was a good platform to bring leanness into, into Philip Morris in order to interact with this. So I had a lot of interactions with these startups and, and I must say that it was always fascinating to talk to these entrepreneurs, which have all these ideas, which are so passionate about the issue they're trying to address and, and how they want to go about it and their personal story that is usually blended into the overall you know, scheme and uh, very, yeah, rejuvenating and exhilarating to, to be in contact with these people. that's what made me want actually to go to, towards that direction and to be part of that. A thrilling, let's say, kind of environment, and that's why after Philip Morris, I I had a stint at startup, as, at the startup that I mentioned pre- previously, the, the water soluble, biodegradable uh, plastic, and that was a that was a it was a great experience. Uh, I was brought in as uh, as the CEO of the company, and and uh, and I discovered what working for a startup, a small startup, it was uh, let's say post seed, but yeah, mid size seed. And uh, and 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 all the complexity um, that it had to do. There, there was a lot of uh, stereotypes that I thought, um, you know, I would be uh, witnessing at startups. And eventually, things weren't exactly the way I were I were expecting them to be. I, I found it to be a uh, way more complex uh, than 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 I thought. I guess I naively thought, and. Uh, and, 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 and actually quite, quite, um, cynical to some extent. And, uh, and, and that's why, um, overall I, I understood what it takes to, to be, um, to be an entrepreneur and to be part of a startup and to manage it. And, and it turned out that it was not really my thing. So it was a great experience, but it didn't really hit my DNA in the way I, I, I thought it would. And, but I leveraged the experience to then move on to VC, which was going to be at the intersection between the financing on the one on the one side, the technology on the other, and putting that together, leveraging my experience from corporate. Because what I'm doing at, uh, at Catalyst Investments is actually offering, selling, setting up a, a platform in the form of a venture capital fund for corporates that want to create a portfolio of startups um, in israel of israeli innovation so i create a dedicated fund like an externalized um, cvc if you will for the corporate to invest in israel without having to go through all the pain and 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 suffering of the of the of the deal by deal uh, and and deal flow um, uh, figuring out and, and, and making so it's kind of a turnkey solution that enables them to to invest in a slightly remote manner but according to uh, the the verticals that are of interest to them and according to the investment strategy that we define together and we run this fund like a normal fund so we're incentivized on of course the exits and the financial return but what they are in for is the innovation and the technology so we get the most of uh, the 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 most of both worlds i would say
0: so what is special about is israeli startup scene the ecosystem what makes it special i mean we hear constantly about israel the size of the country versus the startup scene it's disproportionate right a lot bigger countries couldn't couldn't have one tenth of what is in israel so what makes it special what is the what's the magic sauce in your view (laughs)
1: I think there are there are several parameters that make it um, that make it special I mean they're not unique there are plenty of uh, startup ecosystems and Israel is one of them but it has been working out quite well for 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 various reasons I, I could mention that one of the things is that there's a and Israel, you know, I mean, Israel is at the end of the day. I mean, it's still a, it's still a pilot project as a country. You know, it's a 75 year old country made of a melting pot of people that have immigrated from over 80 countries. So it's still all in development. And, and the one thing that has been consolidating, let's say, the foundation of the societies is education. And, and I would say, therefore, that this is the first uh, pillar whereby uh, the government, the state, is putting a lot of investment into education to not only normalize the education level of the country, but uh, bring it to one of the highest in the world. And I think it's the country that invests the highest percentage of GDP into education. Over 9% of Israel's GDP is going to, to education. Into education, into R&D, which also is an extremely high percentage of GDP, around 4.5%. And, you know, so there's no... Surprised that out all of these great research centers, university, there are great thinkers and researchers and engineers. Twelve Nobel prizes in Israel and top universities recognized globally. So the education is one pillar of the of the the mix. The second one I would say is the is the government support. A lot of institutional money going into R and D, into incubators, into startups from the Israeli Innovation Authority that is really fueling and funding not only with money but also with with support and with uh, networking capabilities the entrepreneurs and their um, and their ventures um the defense industry that's certainly something that is specific to israel where the defense industry is is extremely well developed a lot of the technologies that are made available uh, through the startup ecosystem are actually originate from the military and, and defense industry out of a out of a need for constantly finding new ways to anticipate, uh, avoid, divert uh, threats of neighboring countries or, or within the country. Um, again, there are very uh, impressive tracks, training and, and talent management tracks for, for soldiers, which come out of, of the military service um, and usually go to the tech sector and found the, their startups there. The tech sector extremely developed Essentially, it was born more out of a B2B kind of approach, but over the past 10 years, 12 years, it has branched out a lot into B2C. So you have now really verticals that are covering quite a wide spectrum of, of types of, uh, of business models and you know strongholds, of course, in cybersecurity, but also in digital health, in automotive, in uh, smart cities, in IoT, in climate tech, sustainability. Food tech, fintech are very big also here. And I think it all has to do with the fact that Israel is a country that doesn't have natural resources. So it's only resources in the middle of this desertic uh, uh, area has been its, uh, its its brain power and knowledge and um, and talent. And that's how what it has been leveraging. Of course, access to financing. Um, Israel has a great access uh, to financing from BC uh, internationally. There's around 380 VCs present in israel providing funding plus uh, plus as i said government support and, and international institutional support and to 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 close this let's say magic final touch or, resi- or ingredient in the recipe of, of that success i think it has to do with what we were discussing previously which is this kind of culture the israeli culture which is a mix of jewish culture based on a lot of questioning and interrogation about how the world Works and the Bible and God and place of of human beings uh, on this planet and the philosophical aspect of all of that. So, a lot of constant questioning, but uh, also this desire to constantly improve, find solutions, uh, break down walls, uh, uh, make things happen in general is something that is driving these entrepreneurs and the Israelis in general, but these entrepreneurs uh, forward at a great pace. And the resilience and the perseverance in the face of a it's the, the geopolitical situation or simply the the toughness of the daily life, because it's not easy uh, on, on a daily basis, despite the great weather and the food and, and and the fun and the social and whatnot. I mean, it's still quite a tough environment. The cost of living is extremely high. Uh, salaries are not that great. So, you know, it's tough to make a living. And, and that's also something that is provoking or, or prompting many people you know when they come out of university or out of the military to say look what what should i do should i take a, a nine to five type of job that is you know poorly paid or just you know invest two three four years into trying something out and if it works great you know uh, uh, bingo and if not okay you do something else so a lot of people are indeed going into the entrepreneur and uh, 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 field to 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 try it out, and they have this baggage, they have this this mindset, this perseverance, this this drive forward, this chutzpah, and and they go for it. And out of the mass, you have now more than ninety unicorns out of Israel, which is the highest number for a single country in the world, highest number of startups per capita, and um, and and investments. So I guess it's a bit of a mix of all of that, and that that's what makes it extremely. Extremely interesting in a small geography, so everyone knows everyone, and, um, and therefore the networking uh, capabilities and the capacity to attract uh, talent and recruit people is, uh, is something that happens quite, quite fast and quite smoothly, which is, as we all know, critical for a company to, to be successful.
0: Great. And so, managing the corporate v- VC out outside is what you're going to be doing or you are doing Mm -hmm. what is the what is the target what do you want to build in terms of size what are the economics of the business in general how does it work what is your holding period or of your clients Uh, so just like an overview of the structure
1: right so uh, corporates i mean we're talking about global corporates that you know that, that have a sufficient funds to to invest uh, in israel also on top of of course all the locations that they're investing into so they're looking at creating a portfolio of you could say around uh, 12 to 18 let's say 15 on average startups in the vertical that uh, is of their interest or verticals eventually so usually it's quite early stage investments because the more mature and late stage they go direct and they do their own investments into into these companies so 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 this portfolio of let's say more early stage companies investing in 12 15 something like that usually what i tell them is that they need a budget of 30 million so we create a fund dedicated for them for uh, 30 to 50 million dollars so that uh, enables them to invest highly in early stage only with you know 50 or even 60 percent of top ups uh, when needed and, and in some cases also investing into B or C rounds if there is a company of specific interest that uh, that they, that they want to to work with. and And the interest for them is that they're putting their money, I mean through us into different ventures that in some cases they wouldn't be able to get approval for in turn're gonna go. To their whoever senior management or, or or the people in charge of approving these investments, it's not a given that they would accept this type of investment because you know I've seen how it works in corporates. A lot of the decision making is you know made by people who are usually employees and therefore incentivized on their annual objectives and it's difficult to be incentivized on you know, an investment into a, into, into a startup, which is a 10-plus-year, eventually, investment in order to really uh, uh, witness the fruits of that investment. So if it's not for the 10, 15 years, then it has to be for something else, which is the immediate strategic fit of the technology. So they can say, look, this company has developed a da 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 something that we can use as part of our XYZ product-slash-service offering. So on the one hand, they're reluctant to invest into a more long-term, let's say, horizon three type of, even two or three type of investment. And on the other hand, they prefer investing into things that have an immediate application, which is good. But when you say immediate, that means that you don't leave yourself a lot of space for things that are a bit less um, uh, controllable, understandable, and and um, seizable immediately. And that's why this creates a good platform for for, for them to have a bit of a sandbox um, to, to play with. And then it's small tickets that are put in the, in the companies. I mean, we lead uh, the, the rounds usually taking a, a board uh, seat uh, to help the company grow and develop. And then the corporate uh, comes here as a strategic partner for the startup. So they start working together, which is mutually beneficial. And of course, it accelerates the growth of the startup, and it's good for its reputation to have a strategic partner behind it. But on the other hand, the strategic partner is not on their cap table directly because it's through the fund, which also helps them out in order to feel more free, let's say, from a decision making perspective and, and an industry focus. And, uh, and if things work out well, then you know, then we put more in the future rounds. and at some point, the idea is that the corporate uh, ends up acquiring. And that would make sense. That would be the perfect scenario. acquiring one, two, three, or uh, several companies of, of the portfolio um, so that create exits. So the timeline of the, of the fund, if you will, normally is is uh, eight years, plus one plus one, so 10 years in, in, in total. But in some cases, uh, some companies prefer going into a more uh, evergreen kind of structure, which enables you know, the funders to continue and to, and to live through, ideally, the, the life of the startup until there's an exit uh, or there's a clear use case of, of that technology and, uh, and, and rotate the funds throughout, uh, throughout uh, a longer investment period. That's a bit how, how it works.
0: Yeah. And you're looking at how many of these?
1: Look, if we can, have ideally, three, four would be a good, uh, a good start. It's up come. to
0: 100 million.
1: Yeah, yeah, like yeah. that creates a, a size that is uh, good enough to, to manage. And, of course, it has to be a, um, based on an exclusivity type of framework because you don't want to have corporates that are competitors having their own fund. We couldn't manage, of course, competing yeah. funds in competing verticals or competing industries. So, yeah. So, of course, there's a... This, you know, price to pay for the exclusivity on, on on both sides of the of the table. Yeah,
0: yeah. Super. Well, good luck with that. Fingers crossed. Much better, to be honest, than the smoking bit. Okay, I'm a <laughs> former smoker. You still smoke? I remember you. Were
1: smoking no, 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 too, no, no. You know? no.
0: I smoked a lot well
1: before my years at Philip Morris.
0: All right. So uh, speaking of INSEAD friends and all that, uh, the INSEAD connection for you, how has it worked out all these years? And obviously with regards to my other interest being uh, raising funds for our endowment, I do have to say that you have always been a big supporter of me. So very regular. And thank you for that. Uh, Eight out of 20 years, you've been... Chipping in, and um, you are a Green Pin holder, so thank you for that. But tell me, what are the INSEAD connections, and then how you think about Insiad, um, how you think about giving and uh, giving back to INSEAD in particular.
1: <laughs> well, you know, Insiad is is so intimately linked to most of the things that have happened to me that uh, it's only but natural to to to. to it's not only about giving back, but to to be connected and to participate and to and to be active about it. You know, if I think about this uh, coming here to to, to Israel, uh, which was this type of dream, and now has become our new reality, is thanks to Philip Morris, and Philip Morris is thanks to INSEAD. So, you know, there's there's a lot of what we're living today that is really. Due to to, to that uh, the possibilities and the opportunities that the school has has given me, so I don't see in Seattle as just a, a place where we learn things or or we develop a great network and, and friendships. It's really a, a foundation step in in what has happened to um, to me and my family over the past uh, twenty years. Um, what can I say? I've been very connected in general with the with the community in the different countries where uh, I was living. And here in Israel, there's a great group of alumni uh, coming up with uh, initiatives on a regular basis. Uh, and, and I'm happy to be part of these initiatives. There's a new initiative now that I'm going to be part of the working group uh, for uh, promoting a uh, woman uh, uh, leadership, woman in leadership, or in leadership position, uh, inside alumni women in leadership position here in Israel. So that's going to be a very interesting new endeavor. And there's been a, a lot of events organized. Also by uh, Ziv Carmon. remember Ziv, who was our marketing oh, yeah. director. Uh, as an Israeli, he's very active on promoting uh, Israel vis-a-vis uh, India. Has been uh, bringing here uh, numerous delegations of GMBA's or, or, or students, and we have participating, uh, maybe hosting one of their events soon. And um, yeah, and every time Ilian was was here, there were events and one-on-ones and discussions of how could we help INSEAD more from the Israeli perspective, is INSEAD leverage Israel more. Very interesting discussions that led to, to several initiatives. So I think that's very important to be, just to be part of of what's going on and helping anyway. And giving, look, giving uh, giving is the easiest thing uh, possible. I guess the, the, the most important thing is to try to give on a regular basis. So I've tried, uh, maybe not every year, but uh, in general, um and of course the larger the donations uh, the better <laughs> right but it's probably more important to give on a regular basis than to do a one time big one yeah, i don't know what you think true. about it i think over, over time it proves a more solid and meaningful connection and and and, and follow up with the, with the school so that's we how agree. I, that's how yeah. i see it
0: yeah yeah we still have lots of room to grow <laughs> if everyone gave 100 bucks a year for the 20 years we've been there, we would have a lot more actually than we do have. So, yeah. Yeah, but, it's,
1: um, it's surprising that not everybody gives because it's true that, I, I don't know, I, I maybe one of my theories is that giving a small amount is something that people don't feel comfortable with. First of all, because they know they could give a bigger one or a higher one. Uh, 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 and so maybe they're like refraining. I don't know. But you're right. 100, 200, 300 is, is not a... Not a lot per year, yeah, but makes a difference. So I can only encourage people to put even small tickets, but on a regular basis every year, doing an automatic pledge. I think that that that's great. Well,
0: thank you for doing the job for me. Well,
1: I'm trying to help (laughs) out, you know.
0: A hundred bucks a year, all throughout. But know, a thousand,
1: uh, ten thousand and fifty is even yeah. better, a year too. Uh, of
0: course, <laughs> yes, please, yes. <laughs> well, thank you, thank you uh, for your generosity and for your discipline, which I guess comes from your Swiss side, right? <laughs> like on time, regular, things work like the Swiss clock. There but, you go. But I must say and, that the
1: fact that you remind me every couple of years uh, is, is also useful. <laughs>
0: Yeah. There you go. Therefore, therefore we have a podcast now. So exactly. I keep on finding inventive, creative ways to keep people's attention. So thank you for listening, everyone. Thank you. I hope you're enjoying it and do give back if you can, when you can. Now we move to the last part. Um, quick round of questions. If okay. you're ready, I start. Proudest achievement.
1: Proudest achievement. Um, moving, settling in and living in Israel.
0: Success for you is
1: success is um, is putting yourself in a mindset and in a situation that, uh, that 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 enables you to seize opportunities as they come.
0: Happiness is
1: happiness is happiness is seeing the comical angle in, in any situation.
0: Biggest regret?
1: Uh, biggest regret. Um, missed uh, communication opportunities with my father before he passed away. There you go.
0: Second person who says that.
1: Really? Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, different different generations, different communication Mm -hmm. styles.
0: Life is short. Life is short. We should not forget this. What keeps you awake at night?
1: I guess it's figuring out how to help my kids confront this everly more complex world they're going to be living in and having to to thrive in, because I must say that it looks quite tough out there <laughs> compared to when, you know, uh, we probably graduated from high school or even university or even INSEAD. But maybe it's just, you know, just the the, the the way things evolve. It just always looks more difficult than what we know has happened. But yeah, it's some some of the aspects of our current society in general are a bit, Uh, A bit worrisome, but there's also a lot of positive uh, expectations out there. So it's a balance.
0: Wish you had known or someone had told you. Uh,
1: Something that I was told a while ago, but I wish I had been told that more firmly earlier, is simply um, if you can choose between being kind or being right, choose kind.
0: I like that. If you had to do it all over again, what would you change?
1: Um, I think I would have studied something different at university because I studied business economics, which at the end of the day you all learn at INSEAD, so might as well do something different and then top it up with, with, uh, with an MBA.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that's smart. All these engineers we had, right? Yeah, yeah. They engineering
1: were or, or even, why not, something completely, I don't know, something different.
0: Retirement, ever or never?
1: I guess retirement as a specific moment in time where suddenly you say, and now I'm retired and therefore I'm stopping this, that, that, this certainly never. But, uh, and all, you know, a gradual phasing out of the things, uh, change of rhythm and intensity, uh, yeah, over time, I think uh, makes sense and shift of priorities towards things of higher interests or who knows, maybe in time more noble, even better. Why not?
0: If you had to pick one book, everyone should read.
1: Glucose Revolution.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs>
1: Do you hear about That's it from uh in Chaupce? I mean, look, I think nowadays, maybe because we're aging, but it's all about quality of life and longevity and understanding how um, uh, um, glycemic peaks impact uh, inflammation, which causes most of the issues in our body over time. Is fundamental to try to lead a better, more healthier life going forward. And uh, the, the, what I like about the book is that it comes down, it really boils down quite a chunk of science into something fairly digestible with solutions that are very pragmatic, easy to implement without having to sacrifice any of your real dietary uh, constraints. And so that resonated a lot, a lot with me. And, uh, and, um, uh, yeah. I really recommend it.
0: Most admired public person?
1: Uh, let's go with uh, Jerry Seinfeld. Okay. Yes. Most
0: despised public mm, the person?
1: The fun, the philanthropy, the witness. Yeah, yeah. Most despised one, uh, Kanye West.
0: Last one, are you coming to reunion? Of
1: course, of, of course. course. I'm coming to reunion.
0: <laughs> Do bring some champagne, all right?
1: <laughs> all uh, right you can that's so great. To it, yeah.
0: That's great. Fun. So it's October 6, 2023, in Fontainebleau this time, and the gala at the Chateau on October 7th. And this was, I can finally say, officially a conversation with Daniel Elfin, Lola Pen. Uh, Senior Partner at Catalyst Investments in Tel Aviv, Israel these days. Thank you so much for your time, Daniel, and for your generosity and for helping my job get easier, hopefully. Uh, And I'll see you in Fonti. Thank you so much, Milena,
1: for for this great Mm -hmm. chat and for everything you're doing. And looking forward to seeing everyone in a... Take care.
0: Thank you. You were listening to The Republic of Insead 20 Years Later, O3D, podcast edition. It is my hope to remind everyone what an interesting and, dare I say, colorful bunch of people we are and how much we can contribute to each other, be it through ideas, knowledge, or mere inspiration. The podcast is inspired by the original Republic of Insead yearbook, produced on paper 20 years ago by Oliver Bradley and team. Thank you, Oli and team, for this contribution to our class's memory and for letting me continue in the tradition, title and inspiration included. Creator and author of the Republic of Insead 20 Years Later O3D podcast edition am I, Milena Ivanova. Original music by Peter Dundakov with help from Dare Films Productions. Stay tuned for more and remember to book your tickets for the 20-year reunion in Fontainebleau, October 6, 8, 2023. Thank you for listening.